following is a Sunday sermon from Hope Presbyterian Church of New Braunfels, a community of people gathered to connect to God, to each other, and to their neighbors. For more information, visit www.hopenb.com. Good morning, everyone. Excuse me. Wonderful to be with you. I'm Derek. If I haven't met you, I would love to. I will say I made a mistake, I believe, in the uh, ordering of this worship service by placing singing children right before my sermon. And um, that is just not where you want to be, you know, coming up right after kids singing. I've set myself up for failure. But fortunately, we have God's Word to open, and uh, that is always uh, setting ourselves up for success. So if you've got a Bible, you can open, open it up to the Gospel of Luke. We're still in chapter 1. We have looked at the prophecy of John's birth. We have looked at the prophecy of Jesus' birth. Now we actually get to see one of those prophecies being fulfilled, and it's John's birth. We get to read about the birth of John. So if you've got a Bible, you can follow along with me. Luke chapter 1, I'll start in verse 57 and read uh, through the end of the chapter. It's also on the screen above me. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote down, His name is John. And then they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open, and his tongue loosened, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came upon all the neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up in their hearts, laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant to us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and in righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your word delivered to us this morning. We ask that you would Open our eyes that we might see you and see Jesus more clearly. 
We ask that you would open our ears, that we would hear what you have to say to us. We ask, Lord, that you would soften our hearts, that we might know your love, your great and tender mercy, and that we might love you in return. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are, um, yeah, talking about the birth of John, and you heard me read that whole passage about John's birth. We're actually only going to focus in on a few verses here. It's interesting. I love the way it starts. Um, John is born, and his mother says his name's going to be John, and all the people around him say, eh, let's ask Dad. And Dad says his name is John, and all the moms are like, that's what the woman said. Why didn't you listen to her? And then the best part, I think, of all, though, is that when his father, <clears throat> having his mouth now opened, if you'll remember back earlier in chapter 1, because he didn't believe the angel's proclamation, he couldn't speak. And now, after John is, uh, is born, he bursts forth, you know, with speech, and he prophesies. And he begins to talk about what the Messiah will do. And he begins to talk about who Jesus will be and what Jesus will accomplish. But there's this part where the perspective kind of shifts for us in verse seven, uh, 76, and that's what we're really going to focus in on this morning. And John, or Zechariah, excuse me, the father, he looks at his son, and he starts to talk directly to his young son. He speaks directly to his young son, and he says some really amazing things. First of all, he says, you're going to be a prophet. And I love that, right? We typically talk about John the Baptist, and of course, John does grow up, and baptize people. That's kind of how he gets his name and his reputation. But really, it's John the prophet here, isn't it? That's what Zechariah says. John, you're going to grow and you're going to be a prophet. And what is a prophet? But one who speaks God's words. If you've ever wondered, what does a prophet do? That's really the best kind of encapsulated description of what a prophet is. A prophet is one who speaks God's words. Now, maybe it's my kind of visions of grandiosity here that I'm um, seeing myself similar to John in calling, but really that is what preachers are called to do. Though I am not called to give you any new revelation, though I will never speak anything outside of or against the Bible, in fact, if I do, you should call me quickly, I am called, just like John, to reveal God's word to you. So we're going to dig in to John the preacher here and see what this wonderful preacher actually has to tell us. What is the content of his sermon? What is the content of his message? What does Zechariah say that John, this prophet, this preacher, is going to grow up to tell God's people? Well, here it is in shortest form, is that John will declare the coming light of God's salvation and forgiveness so that we might know his tender mercy. Let me say that again. If you don't get anything else this morning, you can walk away at least with that, is that John will declare the coming light of God's salvation and forgiveness so that we, his people, might know his tender mercy. We're going to spend the remaining minutes that we have together kind of walking through that phrase and taking it apart. But before we do, let me just ask you, why does that matter? Why would it matter for us to hear what John would have to say for us? What would the appropriate response be to a message, a sermon that came out of this mouth of prophecy, even, even prophesied over this young child that he would grow up to proclaim this great message? 
how are we supposed to respond to that? Hopefully it's not by sleepwalking our way through a sermon. I understand sometimes we do that, especially when they're boring. But how do we respond? I'm going to ask you to just hold that question in the back of your head, and we're going to come back to it in a minute. Let's start then in walking through this phrase, this message. What, is, what are we talking about? Well, the first thing that we hear actually uh, Zechariah say that John is going to proclaim is he is going to proclaim a coming light, light that is going to come into the world. Let me just read this whole uh, few verses again for us, verses 76 through 77. Listen one more time. <clears throat> Excuse me. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. John is going to proclaim as he grows that the light is coming. And John is actually standing in the line of many, many prophets before him who have come proclaiming this same thing. If you remember some of those verses I read where Zechariah in his prophecy says that Jesus is going to fulfill the words of the mouths of the prophets over and over. He's going to fulfill promises made to Abraham and to David and fulfill these prophetic words. And so many of those prophetic words talk about this image of light actually coming into darkness. Isaiah chapter 9 has already been our guide through a lot of our service this morning. Let me read it again for you. Listen to these words. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. Isaiah says there's going to be a time where the light is going to come into the darkness. Malachi says something very similar in Malachi chapter 4. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And of course, Jesus himself tells us that he has fulfilled these prophecies by claiming himself to be the very light of the world. Jesus stands in front of many people gathered around at the festival of booths and he says, I am that light that has been prophesied over and over, the light that will shine in the darkness, the light that will come into a dark world, the light that will be, as Mike said, both an exposing light and a cleansing light, as well as a guiding light. That's me, that's Jesus. Now, if you read about that actually in John chapter eight, that's where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. There's a fascinating discussion that happens just afterwards in John chapter nine. It's beautiful how John does this, actually. If you read through the Gospel of John, oftentimes John will put Jesus' words and Jesus' actions kind of back to back. And we get that in John 8 and John 9. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then in John 9, we see him actually uh, heal a blind man, somebody who was literally walking in darkness. Jesus opens his eyes so that they might see the light. He brings light to this blind man. And after that, in, in uh, John 9, there's this fascinating discussion that happens between Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees are always kind of watching suspiciously, wondering what's going on. They decide that they're going to approach this blind man and see if they can question him. And Jesus intervenes and he starts to talk to the Pharisees and he ends up telling them this. He says, you know, if you were blind, it would have been better. But the fact that you think you can see 
is actually what means your guilt is still with you. Jesus says to the Pharisees, if you had actually been blind, then I would heal you. But here's the thing. You are blind, but you think you can see. That's the difference between the Pharisees and this blind man, right? The blind man actually knew he was blind, and he wanted to be able to see. The Pharisees didn't know they were blind. They didn't understand that they were sitting in darkness, and so they couldn't see the light. Now, if you've ever gotten up to watch a sunrise, maybe on a beautiful beach or in the mountains, you know you got to get up pretty early. you got to get up when it's dark. And you have to actually get out there and be in and live in the darkness for a little while before you actually see the sunrise. It's key to understanding the sunrise and seeing the light to actually know that you are in the darkness. See, the Pharisees didn't know they were in the darkness. And so much of actually receiving that sunrise, receiving the light of the gospel, is understanding the darkness that resides in our own hearts. And that's where we're going to turn next, what John is going to also tell us, that not only is John going to proclaim that the light has come, but the light has come actually of God's salvation and his forgiveness. Let me read to you one more time these verses 76 and 77. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. I love this combination. Zechariah prophesied earlier salvation coming, and salvation really coming from God's enemies, from the the enemies of God's people. But right here, there's a fascinating two things that he puts together. It's salvation and forgiveness of sins. Now, if, if you have been in church your whole life, maybe you're thinking, like, big deal, aren't those the same thing? They're not. Remember this, salvation and forgiveness of sins really would have been thought of as two different kinds of things. Consider with me for just a second what salvation and forgiveness of sins really is. It is an outside solution to an inside problem. See, you really have kind of four ways you could slice this. Uh, There are the inside solutions to inside problems, right? That's what most self-help books are written about. Finding an inside solution to an inside problem. When I was younger, I was in sales and I was bad at it. So I got this book called How I Raised Myself from Failure to Success in Selling. It's a pretty great title of a book, right? Well, that's an inside solution to an inside problem. I'm bad at what I do. So here's how I am going to raise myself to success. My inside problem was failure at selling. My inside solution is that I will raise myself to success in selling. Inside problem, inside solution. Now, we also have an inside solution to an outside problem, right? And this is, you know, really pretty much the description of all of our hero stories. These are the movies we make. Uh, Liam Neeson has an outside problem, right? His daughter gets kidnapped. He has an inside solution, a very special set of skills that he's going to use to solve that outside problem. These are the headlines in the news. Man overcomes attacker. Outside problem, inside solution. I am the one who has overcome. I am the one who has championed. I am the one who has fought off the attacker. What about this, though? An outside solution to an outside problem. 
Well, this is, of course, if you are lost in the woods on a hike and a snowstorm comes up and you can't get out and you call the park rangers and they come in and they rescue you, that's an outside solution for an outside problem. The outside problem is the storm came up, couldn't do anything about it. The outside solution is the park rangers had to come and get me. This, by the way, is the story of the biggest story of salvation in the Old Testament, the Exodus. God's people were held captive in Egypt. They were slaves. That's an outside problem. Uh, an outside uh, attacker or overcomer or enslaver has held them captive. And God then has to come in from the outside to rescue his people. That's pretty key to understand the outside solution. But our fourth one is really the one that is the most pointed here in the Bible. So when we find all over the Bible and the one that we actually probably dwell on the least. That is an outside solution for an inside problem. And these are not typically the ones that you see the headlines written about. You very rarely open up the paper and, and read, man has a great counseling appointment, right? You very rarely see the movies made about these things. But this is exactly what John is going to proclaim. That there is a bigger problem in here than there is out there. God's people, again, the story of salvation they would have known by heart is that they were slaves in Egypt and God rescued them. And what John is going to come and proclaim is something that would have blown everybody away. And it's this. You're still in slavery. And the enslaver's not out there. It's in here. It's you who enslave yourself by your own sin. It's you who are broken from the inside. It's you who's the problem. And guess what? You can't fix it. The solution has to come from the outside. Salvation and forgiveness put together. An outside solution for the biggest inside problem the world has ever seen. The brokenness of the human heart. And what John is going to proclaim is that Jesus is coming for that. Jesus is coming to rescue us from the biggest problem we could ever have, us. So there it is, the light that's coming to proclaim salvation and forgiveness together. And why? Why does John say that God is doing this? Look at this. It's so that we might know his tender mercy. Look at verse 77 and 78 one more time. To give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. 78, because of the tender mercy of our God. What a beautiful phrase, the tender mercy of our God. That word tender in Greek is the Greek word splognon, it's, it's, or splonkna, that's what it is. It's really, I mean, you learn Greek so that you can say a word like that, splonkna. It's a great, wonderful word. But listen what it means. It means like bowels or guts. Kind of gross, right? You're like, oh, I didn't really need to hear that. You know, the, the tenderness, this word we translate tenderness, is really in, in Greek means guts, bowels. So we could say it's because of the gutsy mercy of God. But here's the thing is that in Hebrew thought, that was the seat of the emotions. Is that the bowels was the place where you felt things most deeply. 
The bowels or the guts was the place where you felt actually those kind of kind and tender emotions, compassion, care, love. Now, before we think they're super weird, we do the same thing. We just use a different bodily organ to talk about it. We talk about the heart. It's the same thing. We say somebody has a big heart. Somebody, we have, a, have definitely a heart for these people. That person's heart is so soft and so wonderful. Well, John is actually going to say the same thing. Zechariah is prophesying the same thing about God. He is a big-hearted God. And that's combined now with this word mercy that's so beautiful. So John is saying, uh, I am going to come and preach, or Zechariah at least is saying, John is going to come and preach God's big-hearted mercy to us. That word mercy is actually the same word that Luke uses in chapter 10 at the end of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Let me remind you of that story if you know it. Jesus is talking to a lawyer, not, not a lawyer for the civil law, but a, a religious lawyer, somebody who would have known God's law backward and forward. And this lawyer comes, and Luke tells us, he comes to test Jesus. And he comes to test Jesus and says, okay, Jesus, I've got a question for you. What do I need to do in order to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, in his wonderful rhetorical way, says, well, tell me the law. How do you read it? And this man says, well, I would summarize the law by love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, awesome, go do that. And this lawyer says, ah, but I got another question for you. Who's my neighbor? So that I can only do that to the people that I need to do that in order to get into heaven. Tell me who my neighbor is. And that's where Jesus launches into the parable of the Good Samaritan. That a man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way there, he was attacked. He was left for dead on the side of the road. And along came a priest, sees him there on the side of the road, and decides to not help him and pass by on the other side. Similarly, a few minutes later, a Levite comes by, sees this man laying on the side of the road, almost dead, and passes him by on the other side. But then finally, a Samaritan, someone most Jews would have hated, sees this man and has compassion on him, and comes and binds up his wounds and cares for him, and at great cost to himself, loves this man and cares for him. And then when Jesus is finished with that parable, he turns to the lawyer and he says, now, who was the neighbor to this man? And the lawyer says, well, I guess it was the one who showed him mercy. That's the word that we're using here. The one who showed him mercy. And so what Zechariah is prophesying here is that John is going to proclaim God's big-hearted mercy. That John is actually going to come and he's going to tell of the coming light. He's going to tell of the coming salvation and forgiveness of sins. And the reason, the whole motivation for all of it is that God is tender and merciful. Now, it's, it's worth just settling in on this for a second. Because I think a lot of times we proclaim that with our words and we forget it in our hearts. Because when it really comes down to figuring out, okay, how are we going to change? Is it God's tender mercy that we think is the real antidote? Russell told me the other day, of, they took a trip to New York City a couple of weeks ago, and he ran into a street preacher while about to walk into a store. And this guy grabbed him and he said, hey, do you know, when you die, do you know where you're going to go after you die? And Russell said, yeah, I'm going to go to heaven to be with Jesus. 
But that really wasn't the answer this guy wanted. He was kind of frustrated by that answer. No, I was actually looking for a way to shame you, a way to maybe heap some guilt upon you. I don't want to celebrate with you. We don't want to rejoice in God's tender mercy together. We want to talk about why you should feel more guilty about yourself. And, you know, isn't that the kind of street preacher that lives in our head a lot of times? (laughs) I heard somebody say one time, nobody talks to you as much as you do. So you better say the right things. And very oftentimes, I think, especially when we're struggling with things in our lives, when we're struggling especially with repetitive sin patterns, when we're struggling with the difficulty of life all around us, what do we typically think we need the extra heaping dose of? Well, for me, oftentimes, it's shame. That's the extra dose I often give myself. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's judgment. And if I could just get an extra heaping dose of guilt and shame and judgment and fear, then maybe we could kind of mix this all together and I'd have the right motivation to live the Christian life. Isn't it amazing that in the middle of Zechariah's prophecy, when he talks about the prophet who will come before Jesus to proclaim his coming, when he talks about the one who will come and most clearly say, this is who is here, this is salvation, this is the light has come, this is the light of the world, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, what's the motivation that John's going to have? It's not fear. It's not shame. It's not guilt. It's God's tender mercy. What if that was the extra heaping dose we gave ourselves? What if that was the fuel that we gassed up on every morning? What if that was the regular, steady diet of God's people? All right, let me return to the question that I asked you at the beginning. If that's the message, that the light has come into the world, that that light is actually announcing salvation and forgiveness, and that the reason for that proclamation, the whole motivation for it is because God is tender and merciful. How then should we respond? How are we to respond to such a message? I think there's one word that sums it up pretty well. Thankfulness. We receive such a message with thanksgiving. It's interesting we talk about Christmas, but Christmas time is really just kind of continued thanksgiving, isn't it? A continued thanksgiving that Jesus, the light of the world, has entered our dark world and proclaimed salvation and forgiveness, and he does it because he's merciful, because he is tender, because he loves us. I want to close actually by reading one of my favorite songs. Uh, it's a, if you. If you've known me for any time, you've probably heard me talk about this song. It's a song by Andrew Peterson. It's called, um, Don't You Want to Thank Someone? You can look it up if you want, but I'm going to read it for us right now. Listen to what Peterson says. Can't you feel it in your bones? Something isn't right here. Something that you've always known, but you don't know why. Because every time the sun goes down, we face another night here waiting for the world to spin around just to survive. But when you see the morning sun burning through a silver mist, don't you want to thank someone? Don't you want to thank someone for this? Well, have you ever wondered why, in spite of all that's wrong here, there's still so much that goes so right and beauty abounds? 
Because sometimes when you walk outside, the air is full of song here. And the thunder rolls and the baby sighs and the rain comes down. And when you see the spring has come and it warms you like a mother's kiss, don't you want to thank someone? Don't you want to thank someone for this? I used to be a little boy as golden as a sunrise, breaking over Illinois when the corn was tall. But every little boy grows up and he's haunted by the heart that died, longing for the world that was before the fall. Oh, but then forgiveness comes. It's a grace I cannot resist. And I just want to thank someone. I just want to thank someone for this. Now I can see the world is charged, it's glimmering with promises, written in a script of stars and dripping from the prophet's lips. Oh, but still my thirst is never slaked. I'm hounded by a restlessness. I'm eaten by this endless ache, but I still will give thanks for this because I can see it in the seas of wheat. Oh, I can feel it when the horses run. It's howling in the snowy peaks and it's blazing in the midnight sun. Oh, just behind a veil of wind, a million angels waiting in the wings, a swirling storm of cherubim making ready for the reckoning. Oh, how long? How long? Oh, sing on, sing on. And when the world is new again, and the children of the king are ancient in their youth again, well, maybe it's a better thing. To be more than merely innocent, but to be broken than redeemed by love. Well, maybe this old world is bent, but it's waking up, and I'm waking up, because I can hear the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready for the kingdom to come. Don't you want to thank someone for this? Hallelujah, hallelujah, come back soon. Friends, that is the message that we received this morning. The voice of the one calling in the wilderness who says, look, it's dark, but the sun is coming up. Look eastward at the sun rising. There is forgiveness and healing in his wings. Friends, Let's thank the Lord for that this morning. Let's pray. Emmanuel, God with us, the light of the world, the light of dawn eastward that broods over a broken world with healing in your wings. We ask that you would come quickly now. Come quickly to heal our broken world. Come quickly to show us, Lord, your tender mercy, that we might live a steady diet on it. We pray it all in the name of our Savior Jesus.